One of my favorite leaders is Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. And before he was CEO, he was COO under Steve Jobs. Well, Steve passes away and the person who had been groomed to take over is Tim Cook. So at the launch of the Apple Watch, which was the first new product in a new category since Steve had passed. So this is a huge deal. When asked, is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple? Tim says, well, it's a moment for Apple. I don't really think about myself that much. Mm. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world. You're now one simple tip, practical tool, and small step away from growing your business. One Next Step is brought to you by Belay, the incredible 100% remote organization revolutionizing productivity with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media managers. Accomplish more, juggle less. Modern staffing from Belay. And now to your hosts. Welcome to One Next Step, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm LZ, and with me as always is my amazing co-host, Ryan. Hey, LZ. We've got a great episode for our listeners today. Today, Trisha, our CEO here at Belay, is interviewing Tim Schur, who served as the VP of Talent Management and Culture at StoryBrand and was also Donald Miller's right-hand man. Tim has a fantastic book that just came out May 17th called The Secret Society of Success. It's all about how to stop chasing the spotlight and learn to enjoy work and life again. Tim really wants you to redefine the way you see success and make an impact that goes far beyond you. Speaking of making an impact, LZ, let's talk about Belay. As a business owner, you eventually realize you can't do everything yourself, but hiring is complicated. And what if you only need part-time help? Your job is to be the visionary, but instead you spend countless hours on tasks that could be done easily and arguably better by someone else. That's where Belay can help with modern subscription staffing. Offering virtual assistants, bookkeepers, website specialists, and social media managers for growing organizations. Accomplish more, juggle less. Modern staffing from Belay. All right, I'm so excited to hear Trisha talk with Tim. So let's jump right in. Tim, hi. It's so good to talk to you today. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be so fun. I know. You're so fun. I can't wait to talk really about your new book, which is, um, I have it on my desk. I was kind of bragging and showing it off earlier. I'm super proud of you. Thank Before you. we get started talking about all things Secret Society, I would love it if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe a really fun or fond memory you have from working with the Donald Miller crew? Like, do you have just like the craziest, yeah. best memory that you, you have in your pocket <laughs> to share? Oh man, there's so many. And here's one of my favorites actually. So Don released several books as a lot of people know and are familiar with. So one of his books called Scary Close released, I think it was tw- uh, 2015. And So about 10 days after the book comes out is when you find out if you make one of the bestsellers lists, right? And so it was a really fun moment because we're in the office. Don gets that phone call and, you know, he finishes uh, with the publisher, hangs up, lifts his hands in the air. He's like, we hit number five on the New York Times. And that was the highest that any of his books had ever reached on the New York Times. So it was a huge deal. We high-fived, we Mm -hmm. hugged everyone was really having a good time. But here's a very beautiful thing is a few minutes after that, we all just went back to work. 
And you may be surprised to hear that this is one of my favorite memories, but I love that moment because mm. it's not that we didn't not celebrate for longer because we were dysfunctional. It's that we celebrated the win, but what I love about that so much is we're just, we're, we're excited to do the work. Mm. It wasn't for the accolade. It wasn't for anybody to pat us on the back. We were content doing the work. And I was going to show up that day and the next day, the exact same, whether or not it hit the list. And so one of my favorite things in working with that team for as long as I did, almost 10 years, which is wild, but it's just a group of people who fell in love doing the work. And the results followed. The company grew, revenue Mm -hmm. increased, the number of employees that we were able to hire on continued to increase in my time. Well, we're working there, but we just fell in love doing the work. So, so that's one of my favorite favorite moments yeah, and, and stories. Yeah, I love I I love that you say that, and and it's also so fitting. It's such a fitting introduction into, I guess, a, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today, and a lot of what goes into your book about what um, what success really does look like. And so, I think it it means a lot to hear you say that. Um, it wasn't for an end goal, yeah. right? The work that you were doing is is like is just the progress of the work and not the end goal. So, and then it's it's back to back to work. Yeah, and that's it. That's so much. There's a a, a book that I really love, the Four Disciplines of Execution. Mm. They talk about the difference between lead and lag measures, yeah. and so you can't control the result, right? But you can show up every day and do and control the things that you can to give yourself the best chance of succeeding. But for us, and the way that I really have learned to define success over the years, is success is in the process, mm-hmm. not the result. Yeah, so in, so in the book, you, t- you talk about that. You say there's a problem with how most people pursue success. So yeah. what is that? What is that problem and and why is it an issue? Yeah, so one of my favorite stories, I'll start with this and kind of get around to um, that question. So a lot of people, they're familiar with the story of Apollo 11. You know, you have Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, one small step for man, (laughs) one giant leap for mankind. But what a lot of people don't know, there's actually a third astronaut on that mission and his name was Michael Collins. So here you have Michael Collins, the guy Ubers Neil and Buzz to the moon, (laughs) drops them off so they can do all the various tasks that they need to do on the moon's surface while he, back in the command module, orbits the moon something like 26 times until the guys are ready to be picked up and brought back to Earth. And what would make this a miserable story to me is if Michael Collins were to get back, sit, sit down with the press and say something like, well, it sure would have been nice to actually walk on the moon and, mm-hmm. you know, acted like a victim, tried to take the spotlight away from the mission as a whole. But what's beautiful, it's that's not at all what happened. He talked about instead how content he was to have had one of those three seats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we live in this culture, in this environment that says to be successful, we have to chase the spotlight, climb the ladder, be the boss right? Do whatever we can to achieve the success that's been dangled in front of us. And that's a little bit different for everybody, you know, in in the various different uh, roles that we find ourselves in. But it's interesting because these are how a lot of people define success. 
But the problem is we end up chasing this version. Mm. And I just don't think that that definition of success is the thing that ultimately will lead us to have meaningful and impactful lives and careers. And so I've been on the chase to, to find out, okay, if that's not success, what is it? And I, I pulled together this little group of people, it's actually not so little, but called the Secret Society of Success. And some of these people in the Secret Society are, are names that you're familiar with, but a lot of them are, are people who you may not have. But the common denominator for this group of people is that they define success differently from fame, money, and power. So I, I share a bunch of those stories so that we can just reevaluate how it is that all of us define success because something as simple as that definition really does impact our behaviors and how we show up every day to do our work. Fascinating. So how would the spotlight mindset affect a leader's ability to be successful or not? Yeah, so... I define the spotlight mindset as this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. And, you know, the spotlight mindset can show up in our lives in a lot of different ways. And I'll just kind of tell you a few of the symptoms that I've seen in my life and in others that may just help people identify it. And I think this is important because I actually heard a guy named Tom House say, problem identification is half of the solution. Amen, right? Amen. Right? Like we have to know what we're up against to give ourselves the ability to move forward. So, you know, the symptoms. So comparison. How often are we looking at other business leaders and measuring our success against how we stack up against theirs, right? Striving. So maybe you're running a business and it almost feels like no matter what level you hit, there's always another one. You know, the spotlight mindset is saying, more, 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 Mm -hmm. you can never have enough. And I think what that does for us is we're just left feeling exhausted. I I know that's actually been true for me. Another is maybe surprising, but damaged relationships. And I know you know uh, Michael Hyatt well, and a lot of people that listen to this podcast have probably heard the episodes y'all have done with him. So, You know, Michael talks about in uh, one of his recent books, a particular failure that he had in his career. And he was given the opportunity to run a division at a book publishing company. And at the time, that division was ranked 14th out of 14 in all significant metrics, team morale, revenue, all of that. They're at the bottom. So he tells the then CEO, give me three years, I'm going to turn this thing around. Well, in only 18 months... His division was at the top, top in revenue, top in team morale. He couldn't stop winning, right? Uh, He ends up getting a bonus check that he says was larger than his annual salary. That's a pretty great bonus check, right? So he's so excited to get home and talk to his wife about this. She's his biggest fan. He knew she'd be thrilled. So he gets home and his wife, Gail, says, we need to talk. And with tears in her eyes, she says, your five daughters need you now more than ever before. And in fact, I feel like a single parent. So here he was having had massive success at work. And yet the relationships with the people that mattered most to him were suffering because of it. And, you know, to close the loop in Michael's story, 
you know, he learned a lot from that experience now to the point to where he talks about what he calls the double win, winning at work and succeeding in life, right? right? And so his definition of success has evolved, but in a moment like he experienced early in his career, the spotlight mindset, those damaged relationships, Mm -hmm. it was a symptom that he was able to see that things were not right, things were off. So I think for so many of us, we can you know, see that spotlight mindset rise up in our lives. Maybe it's when you wanna take the credit for something. You don't feel like you're getting the attention and recognition that you deserve. So the spotlight mindset, if we are not aware of it, can actually lead us down some pretty destructive thought patterns and paths and uh, really, it's going to lead us nowhere good. Yeah, or or to your point, damage your success in different in parts of your life that you don't realize have adverse repercussions in. Um, yeah. And I actually had the honor. I actually started working with Michael right at that time when he made the transition wow. out of Thomas Nelson and into his own uh, Michael Hyatt and Company at the time. And so I watched him go through how he was. Um, reshaping what success looked like in his life. And he modeled mm-hmm. it for me. It was it was great to just be kind of the fly on the wall to watch him make that transition and figure out how he was going to win in all the areas of his life and not just at work. So yeah. um, I absolutely subscribe to, you know, that whole double win theory and and your theory around really success has everything to do with more than just what you're doing at work or the paycheck that you get at the end of the day. So, well, so you mentioned in your book, you talk about people who are playing by a scorecard, maybe the wrong scorecard. Did you hear my New York accent right there? Did you see, did you hear me just say (laughs) wrong? (laughs) It sneaks up in there every once in a while. (laughs) I want to say coffee or draw or wrong, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you talk about the scorecard. So, you know, what is the current scorecard? What is the right scorecard? And what do you, what do you see that people are doing right and wrong here? You know, when I was starting to work on this particular chapter in the book, I wanted so badly to be able to give people a prescription to like, hey, just do this and you're never going to have to worry about all the various scoreboards that are around us and visible everywhere. I mean, you open up social media, you can see how many followers you have. And if you click on a few profiles, you're able to see if you have more or less, right? And so, these different hierarchies are created and established. And, you know, what I wanted to say in this chapter is, guys, just ignore them. Mm. They don't matter. Just forget about it. But it's just not that easy to have given that advice would, you know, it'd be one of those kinds of things somebody would read and be like, awesome, man, you're not in tune with reality at all, Mm. right? (laughs) That's, it's just not the reality and how we live. And in fact, there is hierarchy wired deep inside of us. And, you know, one of my favorite um, studies that I came across was at Harvard. And they actually, they, they had a group of Harvard students, a part of this study and started tracking them throughout their lives. 
And then not only did they get these Harvard students involved in the study, they also had some people from some of Boston's poorest neighborhoods. And they started to measure all sorts of data points as these people uh, transitioned into careers, some of them starting families, as they got promotions and raises and their financial statuses changed over time. And so they have now one of the longest studies uh, into what is it that makes people happy. Hmm. And so it, it's now, some of these people are in their 80s and 90s, which is remarkable to have that much information. And, and here's the punchline. Here is kind of what they've discovered. Relationships are what keep people hmm. happier and healthier throughout their lives. And so for so many of us, you know, we talked a little bit about comparison earlier and, you know, how we rank according to, you know, these scoreboards that we find ourselves on. And, you know, the reality is we are on some scoreboards. You know, it's like you're, there, there are companies that have more revenue than you. I mean, it's just, it's numbers in, in fact. But, you know, are, we have the choice to pay a lot of attention to these things and measure our success against those, or we can almost create our own scoreboards, our own emphasis, which, you know, based on this study, the thing that's going to keep us happier and healthier is, is not how much money we have. It's not the house that we live in, the car that we drive, the schools that our kids are able to go to. But I actually feel like it's relationships. That's what this study is showing, that that really keeps us happier in our lives. And so what that has me thinking about a lot is, okay, if, if that is what makes people happy, how do we infuse more of that thinking into our work mm. day to day? And I heard Andy Stanley speak at this event in Atlanta, and the event was around, you know, finding your purpose. And he, he talks about how you know, there's questions that a lot of us are, are up against regularly, kind of thinking through these kind of what's in it for me? Why am I here? These are questions that a lot of people are, are asking. And, you know, it's, it, it's like a survival mechanism to ask questions like that. So it's hard to say that those are wrong. But Andy said, these are not the questions to ask if you want to find purpose and meaning in your life. He said, the question we need to ask is this. Who am I here for? Mm. And what I love about that question is it requires us to show up and bring our best. We have to bring our skills and our abilities, our experiences. We have to bring that to the table, but it puts us into this headspace where we're bringing all of that to the table in service of somebody else. And I love that so much that I got back to my office and created an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And at the top, I wrote really big, who am I here for? And below it, I put the pictures of every single person on my team and their families. Because on the days like you, I'm sure have a never ending task list, a calendar that is just completely full. I have so much I need to get done. I am beelining it to my desk to just get cranking. It's on those days that I need a reminder, a cue to actually have me just pause and say, who are you showing up for today? Because that gives me just that little bit that I need to keep my antenna up. Think about how it is that I'm helping the people around me and how I'm kind of showing up and investing in those relationships because nothing good ever happens solo. 
we're at our best when we're doing things as a team. And a simple reminder like that is really the thing that I think is going to keep us happier in our careers, to be thinking, who am I here for? To be focused and committed to invest in relationships. Yeah, and and imagine being the person on the other side of that, right? To know that your leader or your peer or your coworker is actually thinking those things and has you in mind when they're making decisions yeah. and going throughout your day. I mean, that's those are the things that create great cultures. Those are those are the things that create organizations that people want to work for. And I think now more than ever, um, where the world is today, people finding seeking great work and great places to work is so prevalent that if everybody could walk around with that mindset, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't work be such a joy? So I yeah. love that. I love that. I'm actually going to write that on a sticky note, and it's going on my. <laughs> it's going on my that. monitor. <laughs> Last week, I interviewed Becca Stevens, and she's the founder of Thistle Farms, which mm-hmm. is an incredible organization. I don't know if people are familiar with it or not, but they uh, help women recover from trafficking, mm-hmm. addiction, prostitution, and help them, you know, find new paths forward. And help them heal and recover. And it's it's amazing. So they make soaps and lotions and candles and use those products to fund um, and give these women jobs as they're in recovery. It's amazing. So anyways, so I'm meeting up with Becca last week and was talking to her assistant as I got there. And she was telling me how her job, her her goal, her number one thing is to serve Becca in the best way that she possibly can Mm. so that Becca can be at her best, Mm -hmm. right? So what I love is what a perfect example of who am I here for? Oh, yeah. You know, her Mm -hmm. assistant, Becca's assistant is thinking, who am I here for? I am here to serve Becca in the best way that I possibly can so that she can go and do her thing. And imagine if Becca is saying the same exact thing for, you know, her assistant, Mm -hmm. but also for the women that she's able to, you know, serve in Thistle Farms. Becca is going to show up and bring her best for the benefit of all these other people. And I think that this can work in both directions. Uh, And But exactly like you described, imagine a culture where people are actually thinking and behaving that way. Because if there is a foundation, a common denominator for people in the secret society, it's, it's that. It's serve others, help others win. And the culture that we live in doesn't really talk so much about that. The culture that we live in is thinking, what's in it for me? It's focusing solely on your next promotion, all the things that you've got going on, and almost omitting anything from your calendar or your priority that would not set you up to win. Mm. But that's just not what I'm seeing in the secret society. You know, what I'm seeing is people who are willing to set somebody else up to win, regardless of what they will get in return. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there is nothing more fulfilling to groom future leaders, to bring out potential in others. I mean, if leaders could really... Gosh, focus on what it would mean and invest in people succeeding. That to me is how I win. You know, I win when everybody who's around me is doing awesome. 
is getting promoted, yeah. is they're fulfilled in their job, they enjoy what they do. And and here's the here's the secret part I love to add to it, is that when you create cultures like that where people care about others winning in front of yourself, what happens is you all win and the organization wins and the organization grows. And so there's like yeah. such a direct correlation between successful people working in great culture and then therefore as a result, great success in business. Um, and I feel like Belay has been a great model of that. And I know e- even, you know, the Donald Miller organization over there as well is like put a bunch of great people together who really care about serving each other and care about each other's growth and potential. And then the result is a great organization that therefore grows. So it's um, yeah. awesome ROI from a business perspective. cover in the book the role of recognition, credit, and influence in your book. You talk about it over the course of a few different chapters. So how do you recommend leaders overcome or at least navigate a few of these things? Yeah. So the reality is leaders cast a shadow in their organization. People become, in some way, shape, or form, what their leaders are modeling for them. Yeah. So it's important for us as leaders or people who are aspiring leaders to show up in the way that we really want to, that we, we believe would, would impact our cultures and our businesses in the healthiest possible way. So one of my favorite leaders is Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. And before he was CEO, he was COO under Steve Jobs. Well, Steve passes away, and the person who had been groomed to take over is Tim Cook. So at the launch of the Apple Watch, which was the first new product in a new category since Steve had passed. So this is a yeah. huge deal for not only Tim as a, you know, at this point, I think he was a couple years into his tenure as CEO, but huge moment for Apple as well. So Tim's uh, interviewed after the announcement and David Muir on national television asked him, is this the moment for you? The moment mm-hmm. of your career at Apple? And just think about yeah. if you're Tim in that moment, how are you going to respond? Because here you'd been for the last couple decades under the radar. People have no idea what he'd contributed to to help aid in the success of Apple. So he'd probably, and and we probably would want to just let people know how much we had done, how much we deserved to be there. Mm -hmm. That's the spotlight mindset, just luring us to just take the bait. But he doesn't do that. When asked, is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple? Tim says, well, it's a moment for Apple. I don't really think about myself that much. Mm. And those two sentences tell me everything that I need to know about how Tim shows up as a leader. It's this humble confidence. It's confidence knowing the value that he brings. He doesn't need to remind anybody about it. And, and, and also confident in his contribution so much that he doesn't really even need the credit. It's like he doesn't even care. But humility, because he knows he did not do that alone. It took, what, hundreds if not thousands of employees for the Apple Watch to be possible, like that whole launch to be possible. And it reminds me of this quote that I love. 
and it, it's a it was a plaque that actually sat on Ronald Reagan's desk when he was president. I actually have a replica of that same plaque, oh, but it says you. this. Okay. There is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. Mm. Wow. And and I think for so many of us, there are days when we just want the credit and we will do anything that we can to almost demand it. But what if the next time one of those situations comes up, you're actually looking for ways to, you know, shine the light on other people, right? And I think that's what great leadership really looks like. It's that humble confidence that Tim showed us. And really success for me isn't about getting the credit and the recognition. Success for me as modeled by you know Tim Cook is success is giving credit to other people, recognizing others. Yeah. And it kind of is in line and parallel to this idea that we were talking about a little bit earlier. It's kind of the, who am I here for? Giving to others, serving others, right? And I heard there's a Zig Ziglar quote that uh, is, help enough people get what they want and eventually you'll get what you want, yep. right? I have some problems with this quote, which I will explain. (laughs) (laughs) The the tail end of the quote, the get what you want part. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, it's a great start, Mm. right? Like help somebody get what they want. That's a great start. And eventually you'll get what you want. So the concern that I have, the slippery slope, the thing we need to be careful of is that we're not doing things to get it in return, Mm. right? but actually to just be content doing the work and helping somebody else win, period. And that's easier said than done, but I think I'd almost be willing to say that out loud and hope that our hearts and minds can catch up to it, right? Like maybe we say it out loud and don't fully even believe that, but I hope that in time we will start to believe that, that that's the better way. And I believe that it's also the better way when it comes to giving credit and recognition to others. You know, are we going to do that? I I think maybe secretly we're hoping then that other people will recognize us and give us credit. But I just think that that's where we need to be careful. We need to just be willing to give without ever expecting anything in return because it's the right thing to do, you know? And I just believe that the rest will take care of itself, right? Absolutely. Well, and if you can live your life that way, you know, show up at work that way, but live your life that way. Yeah. Okay. So you you pose in your book also this question, when is enough enough? Yeah. What's your version of enough? (laughs) Yeah. So there's something that I learned about called sheep bloating, which I'm sure not too many of us are sheep experts, but here you go. This is what I've learned. (laughs) I'm ready. I was listening to uh, a, a talk by a guy named Jason Strand, and then he's talking about sheep bloating. And apparently sheep, if left on their own, will eat so much that they can actually become sick and bloated, and it can actually cause them to die. And you'd think that maybe the things that they're eating are poisonous or bad for them somehow, whatever. But that's not the case with sheep bloating. In fact, green pastures are all around them. And so there is so much that is true with sheep as is true with us. And so here these sheep are, green pastures. There is the ability to have everything around them. So the sheep, to keep them from overeating, actually 
will force them to lie down. And so in this talk that I heard, Jason said, so for us, we have green pastures all around us, the ability to get and achieve and, you know, more, 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 right? But he said, will you lie down or will you be forced to lie down? Mm. Is it going to take a leadership crash? Is it going to take, I had a friend have a surgery because her body was reacting to all of the stress and she actually had to have something removed just to alleviate wow. the trouble yeah. that was being caused. So do we have to have a health crisis? Do we have to have a, a, a moral or relational you know, crisis to just get us to, to believe that, hey, this chase, this never-ending striving for more can actually lead us into this pretty destructive path. So I think it all comes back to what is success? Mm. What is your motivation in doing the things that you're doing. And maybe we need to find a little more contentment with what we have rather than being in this endless pursuit for the things that we don't. And I have to be careful here because I think a lot of people could misinterpret this as, Tim, are you saying that ambition is bad? I'm not. What I'm saying, though, is the spotlight mindset, that unhealthy mm-hmm. desire for attention and recognition, keyword there being unhealthy. Yeah. What is your motivation, your intention behind these things? Because I know a lot of people have been very successful and have made a lot of money and are actually doing a lot of good with that. But I, I, I feel like their ego and mm-hmm. worth and all of that is not tied up into that. And so I just think we need to all check we're, we're searching for more. We're chasing after these things. So if we can just force ourselves maybe to lie down uh, rather than being, you know, knocked down. Yes, that is great advice. In a culture of burnout, for us to recognize yeah. when it's time to sit down for a second before hitting the wall. So that that is yeah. that is that is great advice. Thanks, Tim. Well, th- this has been an awesome conversation. C- can you tell us and our listeners how they can connect with you, where they can find you, and where they can find your new book. Yeah. So if if people go to secretsocietyfree.com, Free. Okay. secretsocietyfree.com, I'm actually giving the first couple of chapters away. And so the book's going to be available everywhere you buy books. I even did the audio book and read it, which is super fun. And, you know, I, I know for me, this has been a North Star as I was working on this book. And it's this quote that I just really love. Albert Schweitzer said, I don't know what your destiny will be. Some of you will perhaps occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. May we be the people who look to our teams and serve them, ask, who am I here for? And redefine success in a way that's actually meaningful and sustainable for us as we do all of our really great work. Tim, perfectly said. What a great way to summarize this conversation. It's been a pleasure. Would you mind sticking around for one more Bonus question. I want to ask you about how you turn problems into solutions. Absolutely. All right, guys, you don't want to miss it. To hear that clip, subscribe to our email list and we'll send you a link to our bonus content or you can visit onenextsteppodcast.com. We will find the link in our show notes.
What a fantastic conversation between Trisha and Tim Schur. Tim is an incredible person, and I particularly loved his definition of success. That success is giving credit to other people and finding ways to recognize others first. Yeah, Tim's insights have the potential to feel pretty radical in the business sector. But imagine if we helped others win in business more than we helped ourselves. That's something to really sit with. Now, as always, LZ, we have one next step for our listeners to take. Today, Tim is generously giving away the first few chapters of his new book, The Secret Society of Success, for free. Go ahead to the show notes to access this incredible resource. And with that, thank you so much for tuning in for this week's One Next Step. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And if you're ready to start accomplishing more and juggling less, go to belaysolutions.com. Join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you advance your business one step at a time. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com. Next week, I host a special masterclass about why it's so important for leaders to take time off. Too many of us go so hard that we don't take time for ourselves. We want to help leaders understand why vacation time is so important, both mentally and physically. And we'll explain some strategies and techniques leaders can use to help them implement healthy processes that allow them to take time off. Here's a quick preview. And so I've, I've heard and seen that a lot with, even within my friends who are business owners, they just get wrapped around the axle and it's all about them. Yeah, I've definitely seen where somebody feels like the business will fall apart if I step out. Yeah, yeah. And that to me says a lot about somebody's leadership. Totally, yeah. What kind of company are you running that's gonna fall apart when you're not there? Who are the people that are surrounding you that the company's gonna fall apart if you're not there? Right. And we're all just not that important. Yeah. I mean, we're really just not that important.